Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Is this thing on time? We haven't podcasted in a significant period of time time. Sorry about that time. I'll explain in just a second time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here, recording this on a late Friday morning. And uh, in case you're wondering why it's been a couple weeks since we've been able to do anything, I apologize. You can probably still tell from my voice, guys, that I am uh, I am not feeling great. Uh, actually feeling kind of, sort of okay, but my voice has been shot for like a week and a half now. It's been rough. And if you think my voice is normally pretty bad, you should uh, you should see what it's been like the past 10 days. It has, it has, uh, it has not been good. So I do apologize for that, but uh, we will come up with better contingency plans for that in the future. But uh, right now, uh, you all have suffered, so I apologize for that. Not just me on this podcast, though. It is uh, from across town, across region, I guess we should say, from the Blount County Satellite Office of GoVols 24-7. It's Grant Ramey down in Maryville. What's up, man? I've worked here for four years, and I think your voice has been shot the entire time. I think that's actually probably a really good point. But Zing. Uh, yeah, well, there's like the there's like the sickness that you can, you know, work through, and I've been working through it. But you can't, you know, if you think that like a cough sounds bad when you're just sitting next to someone, try coughing in one of these like high powered microphones, and then seeing what that kind of sounds like. It is not pretty. It is. Uh, it's not good. So uh, apologies for that, guys. But uh, we should be back on uh, a regular schedule now, and uh, can can kind of work our way through these next couple of pods and kind of get back into a rhythm. But since we have not been on the podcast, uh, a lot of things uh, have happened. Uh, I think uh, a couple of U.S. presidents have come and gone. Uh, you know, it, there's been a uh, – I, I think that, um, like, is baseball still a sport? I think it still is. Uh, lots and lots of things have happened in our in our crazy world here in the past little bit. But uh, as it relates specifically to Tennessee, obviously uh, the Tennessee basketball season has taken a turn, and we're going to discuss that in the second segment of this episode. But for the first segment, we're going to do a couple things quickly. First off, want to give a quick shout out to the uh, Tennessee baseball team, which is undefeated, nine and zero heading into this weekend's three game series against George Washington. The Vols are, have gone up to nineteenth in the country. They have already beaten the number one team in the country. Another ranked team also, and uh, they have been sort of hitting the cover off of the ball. So a big start to the season for those guys, and uh, maybe after this basketball season, that baseball team will give you something to uh, something to be a little bit happier with, uh, you know, for the next couple of months here. But guys, uh, we will start with football uh, as we do. I guess a majority of the time, suppose we do. Uh, Grant, it's been another year at the NFL Combine. Obviously, this thing's just now kind of 
kind of getting ramped up. It's, it, you know, I mean, you're an NFL guy. You know how, how seriously uh, people treat this thing, whether they treat it too seriously. That's, you know, another topic for another day. But the fact is people treat this thing very seriously, and there have been uh, at least three of the four Vols who uh, went into this thing uh, knowing they were going to participate this year. They have, uh, they have done their workouts. Yeah, and it's it's a really interesting group, kind of from the standpoint. Obviously, Juwan Jennings, Marquez, uh, Callaway, Dominic Wood, Anderson, uh, Daniel Batuli, and who's the last one I'm missing here? Defensive uh, end, uh, Daryl Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's interesting from the fact that you know, aside from probably Daryl Taylor, these are four late round picks if they get picked. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a big week for everybody uh, that goes up there. It's it's got to be one of the most intense job interviews. Uh, in any industry, just based on how much you're criticized, critiqued, broken down on the field, off the field, uh, in a weight room setting. I mean, just uh, as many ways as you can be broken down. And for Tennessee, it's it's guys that are probably late round picks that are just hoping to get somebody's attention, turn somebody's head, uh, and turn it into uh, an opportunity late in the NFL draft, day two, day three, whatever. Uh, I, I don't envy them going up there with that kind of pressure, uh, but they've handled themselves this week. Yeah, and what's interesting to me is is you look at some of these numbers, and uh, again, I, I've said basically throughout this this sort of process that if I'm Jawan Jennings, I do not run the forty yard dash. I, I tell people to watch the film, and if they have any questions about the speed, they can look at it there. I know there are some NFL guys who say you need to you need to run that thing, but um, I, I've never really. I, I think there are times where if your time is going to hurt you that bad, and it could, uh, I don't know if it will in his case, but it could. Uh, not that anyone's going to draft him because they think he's a burner anyway, but I've just never really understood the upside of him running a 40-yard dash. Uh, and he goes out there and clocks, what, about a 4.72 or so, which is not right. necessarily the end of the world, Grant. But if you're a wide receiver, you know, people will say, hey, Anquan Bolden ran a 4.8, and that's true. But, um, you know, that's, I think it was the second slowest time of any wide out there. And you can also say Jerry Rice <laughs> running notoriously slow 40. Yes. Uh, he got killed for his 40. I don't know if that was a combine or a non-combine 40 that he ran, and obviously he went on to have the career. Yeah, but, yeah, I agree. Uh, Juwan Jennings is not a 40-yard guy. I mean, he's not a guy that uh, speed was never his biggest element, I don't think, from the get-go. Uh, and, and here you are uh, four years down the line. A 4.72, obviously, that's, that's not a good time for a wide receiver at all. But, uh, again, like you said, flip on the tape this what this guy does you know what he did on that I guess it was a 48 yard touchdown against South Carolina where he kind of just ran through three defenders and uh, just kind of drug his way into the end zone stuff like that that he does uh, and and there will be questions about his off-field stuff and and everything that's happened at Tennessee over the the course of a long career for him uh, but he's a guy that I think helps your roster uh, if you can find a place for him uh, even if that's not a draft pick as a as an undrafted free agent, something like that, because you know, these numbers aren't going to pop for a guy like Juwan Jennings. Probably the same thing for a guy like Marquez Callaway or uh, even Dominic Wood Anderson. Uh, but but for the dog, uh, I think you got to flip on the tape and, and figure out why people call him that. And which is interesting is that you know I would have said going into this thing that Jennings maybe should just go ahead and do the position drills and not do the uh, the forty and some of that other stuff. But um, but but he did it the exact opposite of that. He went out there and he does not go through position drills, but he does do the workouts. And I guess the positives, he as we all know, he's a big guy. He he kind of measures in there at six three, two hundred fifteen pounds. Um, but then he he goes and records okay a nine eleven broad jump, but then just a twenty nine inch vertical, and he runs that forty yard dash. And then he does not go run um, 
does not go run position drills. And, and I guess we'll we'll find out reasons for that later. But maybe the most important thing for him him was going up there and doing interviews. I, I don't know, but I'm sure he and his his representation have a plan. But I, I just I look at that and I, I'm not cringing, but I look at that and I go, I don't understand that. No, and, and I, I do agree that, that going up there and, and talking to teams and going through everything that's off the field up there, I mean, he has a lot to explain. Uh, if you don't know his story uh, and you go back and, and, you, and you Google this guy or, or however you do your research and the, see the stuff that happened way back in November or whatever that was, 2017, I guess, uh, the way he kind of earned his way back onto the, the Tennessee, into the Tennessee football program, uh, the stuff that happened at the end of his senior season against Vandy. Uh, you want to kind of dig deeper into that and figure out who this guy is uh, and why he's gone through those things, what, what, you know, how he changed for the better because of those things or, uh, you know, kind of what's, what's the story behind this guy. So I think that's the biggest thing for him. Even if he doesn't do on-field drills, uh, even if he did run a 4-7-2, go up there, interview with teams, and show people why basically Tennessee fans love this guy. I mean, this guy's a Tennessee football, I don't know, how easily you throw around the word legend, but people love this guy after the last four or five years. So uh, go up there and just tell people your story uh, and show why you should be uh, given a, a spot or a shot at that next level. Yeah, I think you're right, Grant. I think the word legend does get thrown around quite a bit and, and sometimes too often, but I, I do think it's fair to say that uh, after everything Jawan Jennings has meant to the people at this program at the time at which he's done it, I think legend's pretty fair in his case. Uh, and, I, and I think that whoever <clears> – <throat> listen, I've said this for a while. I think whoever takes Jawan Jennings and gets over the fact that his 40 time is what it is, his, he doesn't have large hands either uh, for people who care about things like that. Um, but what he does have are, are great hands and great ball skills, and he has a really, really impressive tape, and he had a really good week down at the Senior Bowl. So uh, the more that you see him, the more that you like him as a player. But – uh, again, I just thought that was interesting. I'm, I'm not – we're not privy to why he did the things he did or didn't do the things he didn't do the past week up there, uh, you know, in Indy. But I, I, want, I look at that and I go, hmm, I'd like to see an explanation uh, regarding some of those things. But moving on, Marquez Callaway was also there, Tennessee's uh, other senior big-time wide receiver. And, and his numbers, a lot of them were better. Now he goes in there and measured in at – uh, just a little bit more than six foot one, which is maybe a little more, a little smaller than people think. Maybe his hair is what made him six foot three uh, on the roster. Uh, but he goes up there, two hundred and five pounds, posts a thirty eight inch vertical, uh, a ten foot six inch broad jump, uh, has pretty decent sized hands, a really nice wingspan as we predicted, and he he ran out there and it, it did a four five five forty yard dash, which does not sound fast, but is pretty solid. I mean that's. If that's a legit laser four five five, that's a that's a pretty good time, and I, and I think Callaway's done okay. It's not fast, but it's also not slow. It's kind of right there, uh, in the meaty part of the curve, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean thirty eight inch vertical. Uh, even if you are just listed at six one, I think that that tells you why he was, uh, for the last few years, considered one of the best basketball players uh, on the football team. He's that kind of athlete. Uh, but I mean, if you Patrick uh, went through the list of these guys with their NFL scouting reports, his was. Uh, kind of brutal from from Lance Zerline calling him a, a one trick prospect who can who can stretch the field uh, at the third level, but at four five five that makes you wonder really how much can he stretch a defense um, because it's not blazing speed, obviously it's not slow like we talked about, but it's just kind of there. Uh, so he'll have a lot to prove and and he'll have a lot to prove on the field, uh, whether it's at the combine or at the at pro day at UT later in the spring. Uh, 
just kind of based on what he has on film over the last, you know, three, four years. And I think he also, uh, he, if you can return the ball as well as he could return the ball at the SEC level while he was at Tennessee, he's obviously not slow. Um, so I don't think that's an issue. And I think, honestly, people look at his six foot one height, and, and granted, as guys who covered the Tennessee basketball program, we can tell you that length matters every bit as much as, as your height does in a lot of cases. And one of the reasons he's so good at those 50 50 jump balls is because one, he's very strong. Uh, and two, he has very long arms, and he'll go up and get the ball, and he'll high point it. So, yeah, I mean, he's got to prove that he can do uh, a lot of other things um, because if you're going to be a kind of a one-trick pony in the NFL, that one trick better be a really, really darn good trick. Like, you know, you can't just, like, be able to sit on command. Like, you got to have a really good trick if you're going to be a one-trick pony in that league. And, and so we'll, we'll see what goes on with him. But I thought what which was the most interesting number to me of the entire – uh, first, I guess, first day that Tennessee players were kind of working out the combine grant was uh, Dominic Wood Anderson had a really, really interesting day, former Tennessee tight end. He goes out there and, you know, listed at about 6'4", whatever he was. Well, he measured in at, you know, almost six foot six and 260 pounds. That's good. He looks really, really good running those position drills. Uh, and then he goes out there and runs a 4.92 uh, in the 40. And we had been told – uh, for a long time now, that, that Wood Anderson was a guy who ran more like in the 4-7 range and could occasionally even break down into the 4-6 range. Um, so for him to go out there and run a 4-9-2, I mean, that's, that just does not look good. I mean, it, it's not a deal-breaker at tight end necessarily, but as that position becomes more and more like a flex wide receiver almost at times at the NFL level, boy, that's a tough time. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like what you said with Callaway. If you're if you're going to have one thing at the at the NFL level, you better be elite at it. Well, I mean, it's, when you look at Dominic Wood Anderson, I mean, he's got the build six three and a half uh, over six three and a half two sixty one. Uh, he's got the measurables, uh, but the forty is slow, and he hasn't really, you know, he never really established himself at Tennessee as an elite run blocker uh, involved in a lot of run blocking sets. Uh, he never really established himself uh, as an elite target. So he's got kind of the build and the intangibles you want, even if the speed is lacking, it's kind of like you're trying to figure out how you get this guy to break through and, and become kind of, and, and feel some potential. And, and the 492, yeah, that's slow. Second slowest of the, at the combine, I think among tight ends, Correct. maybe it's a, maybe it's a bad 40. Maybe he is faster than that. Uh, maybe it was just a bad day running for him. You don't really know. Uh, but a 35 inch vertical, a nine foot, 11 inch uh, broad jump. The guy's an athlete, even if that 40 times not there. Uh, and he's got the height and weight. Now it's you're just trying to figure out how do you get this guy to take the next step. And I think that's what he's going to have to hope for at the next level is uh, he can you know get a uh, undrafted free agent deal or get a camp invite or something and, and show kind of where his ceiling can be and and if he can tap through to that potential uh, and if they can get him to progress at the next level uh, because kind of what you want in a tight end. Uh, it's kind of there. It's just a matter of getting to it. Yeah, it's tough because, as you said, he became a better run blocker later in his career and, and, and you know, uh, at least a more adequate pass protector. Um, but that's never been his strength. And if you're going to be a guy who is kind of a, a, a pass catcher first at that position, you better be a heck of an athlete. And I think he's a heck of an athlete, but I would imagine that now we're going to see Dominic Wood Anderson spend a good 
good bit of time in the next few weeks, kind of before pro day, trying to up that 40 time because he will want to get that down. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, if you've already gone out and run it now, well, well, well now you're going to have to go run it again, because, you know, if you said the whole time, Hey, I'm just not going to run the 40. I think, I think I'm faster on film than it shows, uh, you know, kind of in testing situations. Well, if you're going to have that attitude, well, well, then that's fine. But, but if you go run a bad time, then you, then you can't go out there and not run it again. So he's going to go have to I imagine he's going to go have to go out there and do that again. But uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. And, and I think that when we'll have more on Daryl Taylor and his workout, sort of, a, I suppose, in our next podcast. And then we'll, we'll keep tabs on this stuff, guys. There's going to be a pro day at Tennessee, a pro timing day. Uh, there will be some of these guys. I don't think Tennessee's going to get shut out of this draft or anything like that. You're going to hear a couple names pop up. Uh, so, so we'll see where, where some of these other guys go also, uh, because, you know, you got Batuli up there too, you know, the, there's, there, there's going to be some names to follow in the next few days and weeks. I agree, said Grant. I'm sorry. I thought you uh, were pausing to cough there for a second. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I, it may have been earlier. Actually, I, there have been three times while you've been talking during this podcast that I have hit the mute button on myself so I could cough. So, well, I thought I think I, I thought I heard a lean back. I was like, okay, here we go. He's gonna cough, and <laughs> then gonna, it's like, okay, there's no cough. He's but gonna, okay, we're back. He's gonna lean back. But here's what we will do, guys. Um, you know uh, what I can cough through is uh, this commercial break coming up with the products and the services and the in-house ads and all the other fun things that we bring you on this podcast. And uh, uh, I, I promise you that uh, that you will not hear me cough during this commercial break. Hashtag ad. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the GoVols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products and services and in-house ads you may or may not have just heard a moment ago during that break. As always, you are not uh, contractually, morally, spiritually, ethically obligated in any way, shape, or form to listen to those ads. Uh, but for the people who listen to them, for the people who don't hit the fast-forward button, we appreciate you. We appreciate you. Helps us at CBS Sports. Helps us at 24-7 Sports. Helps us at GoVols 24-7. And uh, who knows? It might even help you. And uh, I tell you, if we were... Um, I, we don't get to, we're not reading these yet still, but if we were, I'd probably be finding some sort of a cough drop right now. That, that, that would be the ad that I would be 
that I would be relating to people right now. That would be one you could really get behind. Yeah, I could really, you know, I could, I could really, you're right. You I could, could really re- endorse it at a personal level. Yes, I could. I'd be like, listen, hi, I'm Wes. Do you get sick? Because I'm sick right now. And let me tell you, blah, 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 cough drops. These things are freaking great. I could do that. You know what's not going great, Grant, right now, unfortunately, is the Tennessee men's basketball season. We knew that um, that Tennessee uh, kind of put itself up against the wall uh, going down the, those last half dozen or so games. We knew this was a backloaded schedule. We knew that, that this was a team that had to kind of get hot toward the end. We knew that there were going to be some issues with this bunch. Um, but you know what you could say about this team it is, for the most part, just about every single game, uh, Tennessee had been competitive. Now, it hadn't always gone the way that they wanted it to go, um, but there weren't a lot of truly, aside from Georgia, there weren't really a lot of truly ugly losses in there um, you know, that I can remember. I mean, Wisconsin, that's the first game without Lamonte Turner, so okay, you get a half free pass on that one. Um, and other than that, they, they'd been competitive, even going to Kansas and, and playing a competitive game. Uh, they had a chance to beat a couple other ranked teams, obviously at Auburn, you know, things – uh, man, they just they really let an opportunity slip there after losing that big lead in the second half. But until Tennessee went to Arkansas on Wednesday, Tennessee was still kind of doing enough to stay there, stay around, give itself a chance. And boy, the Vols went to Bud Walton Arena, which is a tough place to play, and uh, really took one on the chin, 86 to 69. Uh, they did rally from from down 14 or 15. They got it to within. Uh, I believe, two uh, at some point early in the second half. Um, but then Isaiah Joe, Mason Jones, and those guys just got going, and, and it got ugly. And now Tennessee's lost. I believe that is what uh, – let's see, that's four of the past six games. Uh, things not looking great right now. I think it's seven out of ten uh, yes. if you go back that far, uh, if you really want to uh, depress yourself and, and look at the numbers here. And, and go back to the, the first, what, 15 minutes at Arkansas. I think they turned it over nine times. Uh, maybe 10 times in the first 15 minutes. Arkansas gets out to a 14-1 lead. I think they lead by as many as 16 in the first half. You just can't do that. You can't do that on the road, period. Uh, good team, bad team, in between. Uh, you can't do that when you're playing poorly. Uh, you can't do that when you're struggling. Uh, credit Tennessee, they only had two turnovers in the second half, and they, they had an 11-0 run, and they got it all the way back to a two-point game with 14 minutes left. Uh, but when you know Mason Jones is doing what he's doing and Isaiah Joe's back and, and he can score 22, and it almost seems like a quiet night because his teammate's putting up 35 or 37, whatever it was, uh, you, you're not going to come back from multiple double-digit deficits. And, and Tennessee got it back to two, and it was that quickly back to 11 uh, for Arkansas. So, I mean, it's just a – it's obviously it's a, a really tough run of the season for the Tennessee basketball team right now. seems like they're going the wrong way uh, at the wrong time with the schedule being what it is. Uh, but here they are, man. Uh, they they got the you have three games left, and it's against the top three teams in the SEC standings. <laughs> and it looks like it's going to get a lot rougher before it gets any easier. Yeah, and, and you know what's interesting to me is that, and I wrote this in the column because before I sort of took apart a lot of the things Tennessee did wrong in that game, and, and this is was just my opinion, but there were a couple things I think were important to note. One is that uh, actually three things. One, Bud Walton is a difficult place to play, uh, Arkansas. Uh, is a team that usually plays well in that building. It's one of the tougher places to play in the league. Certainly, I would say one of the top four or so toughest places to play in the league, sort of historically, uh, since they've since they've been in the league. Uh, and that's the first thing. The second thing is that with Isaiah Joe and without Isaiah Joe, Arkansas is a completely different team. Uh, I believe they're zero and five. 
uh, I believe that they're 0-5 uh, without him and something um, much more impressive like 18-5 uh, and with him. Uh, and, and so when he's playing, they're a much different team. Uh, and the other thing, the third thing is this. Mason Jones is one of the ultimate boom or bust players uh, in college basketball, not just in the SEC, in all of college basketball. When this guy gets going, uh, he can go bonkers. Uh, he, he's dropped 40 a couple times this year. He's had a, a ton, at least half a dozen or so, 30-point games. This guy... Uh, when, when Tennessee hosted Arkansas earlier this season, he had one of his bad games, and, and he and, and Eric Musselman, his first-year coach, were, were kind of at odds with each other about some things, and something clearly was amiss. Um, but when he goes bonkers, that is a tough team to play. And so you had three things coming together. One, you had Arkansas being a tough place to play. Two, you had Isaiah Joe back for a second game after missing five games. And third, you had uh, Mason Jones going off. So those three things happen. That, to me, means that it was probably going to be a Tennessee loss just about no matter what happened in that game. The problem is Tennessee also didn't play that great, and so it became a lopsided loss. I think that's the issue. Not that Tennessee you know, didn't go out there and, and win the game. I, I think that's okay. That happened. That's a tough place to play. I get it. But they just sort of capitulated there. And, and it seemed like it took just that one bad break in the second half because when you play yourself into a big hole like this, uh, like Tennessee did, all of a sudden it can just take one break. Uh, and it was a pretty bad break. Mason Jones uh, got away with what I thought was a pretty clear charge on Eve Pons, and he didn't get the call. Uh, Pons didn't, and then, boom, there was a foul on Josiah Jordan-James. Mason Jones gets the and one. That's a five-point swing right there. So Tennessee goes from maybe having a chance to get the ball and take the lead or at least tie the score. And, and then they go, they're down five, and the crowd's back into the game in a big way, and Jones has gotten his head up, and he's confident. And that really just sort of swung it back the other way. And once that happened, after that one call happened, uh, Tennessee did not get back up again. And that's a shame because I think Bowden's finally starting to play the way he's capable of playing. Um, but a lot of other guys just aren't. No, and that's the ultimate kind of irony here, uh, that it's been a season-long slump for Jordan Bowden, the worst shooting performance uh, season-long, obviously, of his career. Uh, and here he is. He scores 28 a career high at Auburn, uh, and they give up a 17-point lead in the final 14 minutes. Uh, get outscored by 24 uh, over that stretch, uh, even though he plays one of the best games of his career, probably uh, if not the best game of his career. And then he goes to Arkansas, and he basically carries them uh, about as far as he can carry them in terms of trying to keep them in that game uh, despite everything that was going wrong. Uh, John Fulkerson gets a lot of credit for what he was doing in the early uh, opening minutes of the second half. But Bowden scores 19, and it finally looks like he's kind of getting back to being the player that kind of people expected him to be for this team all year, and stuff is falling apart around him, and they lose two big games, and they're kind of in a tailspin right now, despite the fact that he's finally making shots uh, and finally being the offensive guy that, that people wanted him to be all season. That's That's the... Uh, of all the bad parts of this kind of tailspin they're in, I think that's the worst one. Yeah, and he, he, here's what's interesting to that about that for for me is, you know, it looks to me like some of these Tennessee freshmen, you know, Vescovi as great a story as he's been, and he really has been a great story. He just kind of looks physically worn down a little bit, or at least. Uh, teams have figured out how to defend him, and he hasn't responded to that yet. Probably some combination of the two, but I think he's also just kind of worn down. Secondly, Josiah Jordan-James, 
uh, ever since he came back from retweaking that hip and then he got sick there and missed, a, you know, just wasn't quite the same player there for a bit. Uh, he, he's not been the same player since he returned. And I don't know if that's going to be able to get fixed this season. And that's unfortunate because I think a lot of people are uh, have been pretty hard on that kid this season, uh, of, of late especially. And I get the frustration, but I, I still think that kid's long-term picture in this game is a bright one. And I think uh, even if he's never going to be a guy who goes up there and puts up 20 a game, which I don't think he will be, I think he is still a really good basketball player, and I think he'll have a really good career at Tennessee. But I think what you're seeing a little bit is some of those freshmen a little bit physically and mentally are kind of hitting the wall. And then a guy like Bowden, who's been a heavy minute usage guy throughout his career, and he's such a great athlete, he's in such great shape, you're seeing him start to to show what he normally does this time of year, which is that he can get up and get going. Uh, because he's not worn down. That that's a that's a grizzled, you know, that's he's kind of got one of those big NBA bodies. He's a guy who can physically, you know, stand that pressure. And, and I think you're seeing that a little bit right now. But what what I'm seeing really as much as anything, Grant, is that I don't think this Tennessee team had to have absolutely everything go right in order to beat good teams because most of the time you're not going to have everything go right. In fact, maybe it only happens a couple of times a season where just about everything absolutely goes right. But I think at least 80 to 90% of things have to go pretty well for Tennessee to have a chance to beat some pretty good teams anywhere, especially on the road. And they just can't get all of those things going at the same time, and they don't have as as much sort of proven talent as they had last season. No, they don't. Uh, and I think that's a, a good point that Bowden maybe, uh, while his teammates are hitting a wall, uh, he's kind of fighting through that wall because he's fought through it so many times. Uh, the last three, four years. Um, and with Josiah, I mean, it's like the confidence is just bottomed out. Um, it's almost like he's timid out there. I don't, I don't I don't know. The injuries bothered him all season. It cost him time in October, and I think that put him behind the eight ball uh, from the preseason until now. It's kind of like he's been playing out of position all year because he grew up as a point guard, and, and that's always what he wanted to do, and he gets to this level, uh, and he – can't do that. I mean, he, he needs to be a guy that's playing on the wing at his size uh, with the ball handlers that they have uh, and be one of the better scoring options for this team because he does shoot it better uh, than a lot of guys on this team. But he passes up shots constantly. He's done it all year and gets himself in trouble. I think you're right about Santiago. Um, what he did against Arkansas in Knoxville, 20 points, 8 assists, I think in 30 minutes, uh, probably his best game of the season to date, even, even Musselman said after the game. Uh, it was a, it was fun to watch him as they were preparing for Tennessee, watch him on tape and what he can do. Uh, and he goes to Arkansas and he plays one of his worst games. They were going to take him out of that game, and they did it from the jump, uh, and they did it early. And, and yeah, if you don't have all these pieces working together, uh, if there's, there's, there's got to be multiple players. It can't just be Jordan Bowden scores 28 uh, and he carries you to a win. It can't be uh, John Fulkerson scores 17 and, and grabs nine rebounds and, and leads you to a win. It's got to be... Fulkerson plays well. Bowden plays well. Vescovi does enough. Jordan, uh, Josiah Jordan-James does enough. He can't get shut out uh, in 25 minutes. Uh, Vescovi can't have six turnovers uh, or five turnovers, whatever it was, and six points uh, at Arkansas. They have to have so many pieces working together on this team, and when they don't, uh, they're, they're not a good basketball team, and they can't, they can't fight back from a double-digit deficit multiple times in a game to stay in it uh, on the road. And I think that's what it is right now. They're just getting letdowns in different areas, in different nights. Uh, at Auburn, 24 turnovers, uh, t- I think 10 in the second half, some some crazy number. Uh, might have been more than that, 10 or 14. Uh, and that, that 
four or five minute stretch. They had six of them that led to that Auburn run. Uh, and then you go to Arkansas and you don't turn it over in the second half. You just can't get a stop because the other team's going off and, and making shots and shooting over you. Uh, so that that's the problem. It's it's multiple things that are hurting this team, uh, and multiple players that are kind of bottoming out at the wrong time or, or playing poorly at the wrong time when they need a lot of guys uh, to do something every night. Here's what's really interesting to me, Grant, is that I, and I don't claim to be, you know, a uh, like a, a Red Arbach or an Adolf Rupp or Mike Shashevsky or Rick Pitino or anything like that. I don't claim to be uh, a basketball uh, in terms of just you know, X's and O's. I don't claim to be the expert at a level that like a coach is. I've never claimed that. I never will. But when I'm watching this team play, uh, and Arkansas showed this quite a bit, if you'll watch this, um, Arkansas was just going to – it was kind of content to let Eve Pons and, and Josiah Jordan-James have space. And it was kind of daring them to shoot the ball, and they weren't doing it. And when you're playing those guys at the same time, kind of at the three and the four – and you've got a situation where neither of those guys will want to shoot the ball, they won't want to attack, you're basically taking a whole chunk of the offense and you're just ignoring it. And now what you're allowing people to do is you're allowing people to swarm Vescovi, you're allowing people to swarm Bowden, and you're allowed pe- you're allowing teams to throw bodies at uh, Fulkerson in the paint, and you're not doing anything about it. And that, to me, is where – that's where when I say sometimes that being unselfish actually makes you selfish, that's what I mean by that. Because you can tell that they are just kind of content. Like Eve Pons, his three-point shot, it's it can be a little bit erratic, but he's one of the better shooters on this team. And he did not take a single three-pointer at Arkansas. Not one. And he turned down at least four looks that were good looks during the game. And those are just ones I remember off the top of my head. Uh, so clearly – there are confidence issues there with those two kind of big left-handed wings, and Tennessee has got to figure that out because a kid like Devontae Gaines, say what you will about him, uh, he's kind of a work in progress as an offensive player, but he's out there being aggressive every time he's out there. He's trying to make something happen, and you don't want to be reckless, but guys like Pons and and, and uh, James who have the ability to score the ball – it just, to no end, it drives me crazy that these guys won't go out there and do that. And clearly, it's something between the ears because they just don't think of themselves as scorers. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's kind of the thing we've been talking about all season, uh, even back in the offseason when when the uh, when Admiral and Kyle were, were off to the next level when Grant left, when, when Jordan Bone left. You looked at this roster and you wondered who was going to take over at a time when somebody had to take over and who was going to consistently... Uh, produce night in and night out when this team is obviously going to need production from multiple players uh, on a consistent basis. Uh, and Jordan Bowden, obviously, he struggled uh, from start to finish. Uh, I don't think he'll ever have another year in his career where he shoots as poorly as he has uh, this season, uh, and that's really unfortunate. But, I mean, yeah, Eve Pons, he's made progress, but it's really not uh, it's not always there when you need it, which is a problem. Uh, Josiah Jordan James talked about him passing up shots, and, and when he does, it gets him in, ter- uh, in trouble. Uh, Vescovi means well a lot of times when he's driving, uh, but so many times he drives, he leaves his feet, and he doesn't have a plan with the basketball. Yeah, it's and he a, ends that's up just a, that's throwing a Harry, it straight to the opponent. Harry that's, High School move, yeah. Right, that's as frustrating as it gets for a, a basketball fan watching that kind of play because he's talented, uh, and he can make a lot of really crazy passes. You just That's a simple play that you cannot make. Uh, and it's been a team all year, like we've talked about, that's uh, it's a lot of good role players, uh, but you need more than just role players uh, on a 13-man roster. You need 
you need kind of the, the alpha guys that you know you're going to lean on night in and night out, the, the Grant Williams and the Admiral Schofield type personalities on the floor that when you need a bucket, somebody's going to go get it, uh, and, and they just haven't had it, uh, and time's running out really to find it, obviously, with the schedule being what it is uh, and the SEC tournament coming up. I mean, really, you're, you're in an uphill battle right now for an NIT bid uh, at this point with the schedule and, and what they'd have to do from here. So uh, they're going to have to find something. They're going to have to find it quickly. Yeah, because right now Tennessee, just to make sure we've got the overall record correct going into these final three games, Tennessee's 15-13 and 13 overall, 7-8 in the SEC. Now here's the flip side of this. Uh, if you are the kind of person who believes anything is possible, Tennessee plays two of its final three games uh, at home uh, where, you know, maybe not as much this season, but historically Tennessee's pretty tough to beat there. And Tennessee's playing the top three teams in the SEC. If you're Tennessee, if you catch lightning in a bottle, if you find a way to win those three games, all of a sudden you completely change the narrative going into the SEC tournament and you put yourself in a situation where, hey, you're not completely, totally out of this thing yet. People might look at me like I'm crazy, and I know that sounds crazy, but hey, I, I know what the schedule is, and I know what kind of opportunities are there when you look at RPI and those other kinds of things. So I don't think this thing is totally over yet. I mean, Tennessee at this point could still put itself in a situation where it is not even possibly an NIT team, or it could put itself in a situation where it doesn't necessarily have to win the SEC tournament in order to get into the NCAA tournament. That sounds crazy, I 100% believe it. Uh, now, the thing is, do we expect Tennessee to go on a heater and win these next three? I don't think any of us believe that. But if you're someone who believes that anything is possible, then, well, hey, you got three opportunities there, and they're, they're three pretty good ones. Yeah, I mean, if you can go to Auburn Arena uh, and build a 17-point lead and play as well as Tennessee played for 27 minutes in that game, 26 minutes, uh, you can beat Florida at home and you can beat Auburn at home. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you can go to Rupp and win. Uh, because of how historically tough of a place that is for anybody to win in, uh, let alone Tennessee's record over the years. Uh, but crazier things have happened. Uh, I didn't expect to go to Auburn and, and see Tennessee be up at 17 uh, any more than I expected Auburn to go on an 18-0 run uh, and completely change the game in a matter of minutes. So uh, obviously the potential is there but, uh, because you've seen it play out on the floor, but you've also seen uh, the potential of what all can go wrong, uh, and sometimes it will go wrong for this Tennessee basketball team. Uh, or the, it seems that that's the way it's trending. So, yeah, they have huge opportunities in front of them, uh, huge resume-building opportunities. Uh, but with those opportunities, it means you have a really tough schedule, obviously, and you have a really tough uh, kind of climb ahead of you. Uh, you have to have a 500 record at least to get into the uh, NIT, and I guess with the soft NCAA tournament bubble, that makes that field a little bit more easier to get into. Uh, but this team's got work to do, and you're right. Yeah, they could they could go on a crazy heater, and crazier things have happened. Uh, it's really hard to imagine that, but right now uh, for this team, if they could just get to the NIT, I think that would be a pretty positive step, uh, despite the fact that kind of what's gone wrong this last couple of weeks. And, and, you know, Tennessee always does really well at the SEC tournament anyway. Historically, Tennessee just dominates that tournament. So, you know, obviously if they can just get there, hey, they got a chance, right? I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, that Tennessee's SEC tournament history is about the saddest thing in the Southeastern Conference. Grant, is there anything else? I know we got to step out of here and do a couple things this afternoon. Anything else uh, before you step on out of here? Uh, everybody have a great weekend after so much encouraging basketball talk. <laughs> yeah, I guess we should try to end it on a little bit happier note. Hey, um, uh, did I mention Tennessee baseball is undefeated? Baseball school. Baseball school. Hashtag baseball school. I think that's a good place to, to leave it. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it, buddy. All right, man. 
Guys, thanks for tuning in. And again, I apologize. It's been too long uh, since we've done one of these, but I have... You can't talk, you can't really pod. You know? Kind of an easy, easy, easy Venn diagram there. Times when you can podcast, times when you have a voice. Those things... Pretty simple Venn diagram there. Anyways, we should be back on schedule now. Uh, been to the doctor, gotten some medicine, so we should be good going forward. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being with us, as always. Uh, you can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. You can also find, uh, if you just want Tennessee news, nothing else. If you don't want any of our personal stuff, you don't want me com- complaining about Arsenal, and their capitulation yesterday, just embarrassing, embarrassing performance. Uh, and you don't want anybody else talking about anything that isn't related to the Vols, we still got you covered on social media. You can go to twitter.com slash govols247 or facebook.com slash govols247. Ramey does a great job there with our Facebook site. Or if you want to get that delicious East Tennessee Mountain Spring Water right from the source, you can go do that at govols247.com. Uh, we've always got a bunch of good specials, guys. We'll, we'll have more coming up. Um, but, you know, you can always you can always try it out there for a pretty good discounted rate at first. Go check us out there. I'm telling you, our retention rate remains ridiculously high because people who go check out the site, they usually stay. They usually like it, and uh, I'm proud of that. Uh, I think we've, we've, we've done a pretty good job building that site at GoVoss247.com. So go check that out, and if nothing else, uh, you will either hear from us this weekend after the game or you should hear from us by the latest knock on wood on Monday. Thanks, guys. See you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.